Cars on Call is a different car podcast. Two car guy physicians discuss car topics from a perspective you won't find anywhere else. My name is Steve Schutz, and I've been publishing new car reviews for almost 30 years. And my co-host is trauma surgeon Stefan Moran, who has not only operated on countless car crash victims, but has also published research on car safety. Welcome to Cars on Call. Welcome to Cars on Call. I am Steve Schutz, and I'm here along with co-host trauma surgeon Stefan Moran. Stefan, how are things? What's up, Steve-O? Tomorrow's a big day. Yeah. I'm excited. You'll talk about that later. You do have some news about where you're going, what you're doing, but uh, uh, let's get get on to the show because there's a lot to cover. But Stefan, we did probably uh, two months ago, we did a show about old features from cars and you know there were two that that i always think of and i know i know you do too and uh that was kind of the genesis of why we wanted to talk about it uh one of the features that is is gone but missed is the fuel filler cap behind the rear license plate and that was you know a, a, a 60s and 70s thing and that's gone and the other thing was the little switch the foot switch for the the headlight brights and those are things that you know people today uh, not only don't know about, but can't even imagine. I mean, it, they're so weird, and yet we thought they were normal growing up. Well, there's another one, and my mom actually bought a used Cadillac, and it had what's called, and again, this is so funny through the the eyes or the ears of someone in 2022. It was called the rim blow steering wheel. Uh, it sounds completely X-rated, but uh, that was the name, Rim Blow Steering Wheel. And that was the the horn switch was this circle that went around the inside of the steering wheel, the entire length of the steering wheel, the, tire, t- t- the, the total internal diameter of the steering wheel. So when you're gripping the steering wheel, you use your fingertips to blow the horn. Well, yeah, when you get white knuckled driving the car, I mean, instead of letting go, you know, Somebody pulls that out in front of you like, ah, and you squeeze the steering wheel, boom, the horn goes off. You know, you don't have to hit the horn button. I thought, I remember when one of my buddy's parents, I don't, I don't even know what car was young. They got that, they got a car that had that on there. And we, we just sat in the garage and stop hitting the horn. But we just thought it was hysterical that you could just squeeze the steering wheel anywhere instead of just smashing it in the middle. Um, well, it wasn't it? Yeah, it was any anywhere sort of, but it was in the absolute center of the internal diameter. So, right, right. If, on the inside of the inside of the steering wheel, it was actually trickier than you think. You know, I'm sure yeah. you remember this, but you had to hit it just right. Yeah, it was like so. Yeah, it's like a ring. It was just a soft, like almost like a you know a rubber ring around yes. the inside. Yes, and you just had to squeeze that enough to dent it in. So to speak, push it in, and then the horn would go off. But yeah, we uh, yeah, soft rubber inner rim, and we uh, we thought that was hysterical. Um, my my mom's used Cadillac was probably eight years old. It was an old sedan Deville. It was a '72 sedan Deville, and uh, by that time, this thing had really kind of deteriorated. So uh, it, you could not you could not turn on the horn or hit the horn all around the diameter. There were certain places where it would work, certain places where it doesn't. Well, that's not safe. No. Well, you know, they, it didn't last, I don't know how many years, it didn't last that long, but as you can imagine the, the rubber, you know, rubber 
rubber and plastic materials weren't as good back then as you know 50 years ago so they hardened so it'd make it hard to actually squeeze the thing they'd shrink so the horn would go off when you weren't wanting it to and then just it was just too weird for your consumers um so they discontinued it after only a couple of years but what a yeah what a great idea it's about that's early 70s um, yeah it's like a lot of great ideas it's really great when you think about it when you're you know sitting at dinner drinking a couple of glasses of wine it's really brilliant and then when you actually put it into into into, into effect it doesn't actually work so yeah, it only lasted a couple of years and people realize it's just it's not very smart. Interestingly, Stefan, in the early days, and I know you remember this well, in the early days of airbags, they, you couldn't just hit the the center of the steering wheel because it was all airbag. So they had like buttons or parts of the, 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 the center of the steering wheel where it said a horn and you had to actually hit the button in the right place. Now, most cars hit the, anywhere in the center, the horn's going to blow. Yeah, that's just... That's one thing nobody needs to change upon. I mean, a horn is one of those things that no matter what vehicle you get in, it should be the same as your right foot goes on the gas. You know, you should be able to you just you go to the center of the wheel. And remember, they had all these different variations. We had the like the little paddle horns and the inner rim, and they're all different kind of variations. Um, but now, as I'm under, I'm sure there's a federal motor vehicle safety standard that says it's got to be in the center because. Nobody's making anything strange with that. And they don't need to. No, no. And, and you know, sometimes you get to a point where something's perfect. Uh, you know, they haven't changed the mousetrap in probably 100 years. They haven't changed the iPhone in 15 years. Once you get to something that actually works, there's no reason to change it. By the way, I hope that we, we don't continue to experiment with different ways to change your volume of your audio. It should be a knob that you twist, and there's still there's still people out there trying to change it with the, you know going to a menu or sliding something or whatever. Like, just give us a damn knob, come on, man. I think Rivian has a a non knob volume thing. Uh, it's annoying. You know that when the Ford Mach E came out, that was a big deal that they kept a knob on the center screen. I mean, I guess you know we all grew up turning the the knob. To increase the volume and change the station, our car radios, our home stereos had it. I think that you're right. That's something that now the next generation could probably care less. But it's stupid, like you say, to to not have a knob to change the volume. Don't mess with it. Don't just don't mess with that. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Uh, All right, Ford got that right with the Mach E. They did. We'll move it on. I'm still irritated. I read something in the news today irritated me even more than I was irritated last week. We talked about the Ferrari Puro Sangue. Apparently, despite the fact that it's going to be about $450,000 out the door, 2023 models completely sold out already. It's so irritating. But, uh, Stefan, there's something we both remember, and I no one has talked about this. The Pura Sangue, it's a four-wheel drive SUV. It's a Ferrari, has a Ferrari V12. Well, this is not the first one. There was something called the Girari back in the 70s, and that was a Ferrari SUV, and nobody remembers it. Bill Hara built it. It was not a Ferrari factory thing, but Stefan, the first time I read about it was Road & Track, Back in the late 70s, I read about it. I'm like, that is the coolest thing ever. You remember it too. Tell us about it. We remember that the funny thing is we're getting so old, Steve. We couldn't even remember it when we did the show last week talking about the Puro Sangue. We were so fired up about it. 
that you know as you'll find out listeners as you get older some things just come to your mind a little a little bit on the late side and this came to us honestly i don't think i you know i haven't thought about it forever honestly for me it was after our show i was thinking about the pure sangue and i was thinking about four-wheel drive suv ferrari and all of a sudden it popped in my brain like holy shit steve the girari yeah and then when you told me about it i started laughing and wikipedia actually has a as you just type in Girari and boom, there it is. But yeah, we remember seeing it in the motor trend. I think I, I subscribed to road and track back in the day. It was road and track. Yeah. But you know, William Harris of Harris um, hotels and casinos, just like old Mr. Ford, he tried to cut a deal with Enzo Ferrari um, with Mr. Ferrari. Mr. Ferrari said, hell no. So, but Hera wanted a um, four wheel drive Ferrari. And he asked, Ferrari to make one. Ferrari said no. Probably said hell no. So you know, hell the man no. had more. I'm sure he said hell no. However, you say that in probably Italian. hung up the phone, Stefan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he probably never even took the said. He probably never took the call. And I'm sure he's having the same thoughts today in his grave um, about the Puro Sangue. But so Hera built two of them. He had the 1960 in 1969. He built the first Girari. And it was a Jeep Wagoneer. And what's really crazy is he not only this he was really pissed at, at Ferrari because not only did he put the engine in the 1969 Ferrari, he put the front end from a Ferrari 365 GT onto the stock Wagoneer body, with along with the engine and transmission, and it is to me it almost looks like a Saab station wagon kind of thing. It is bizarre, but it looks like. It looks like someone photoshopped Margot Robbie's face onto Rosie O'Donnell's body. <laughs> it was called a crime against nature. Yeah, um, exactly. It was. And it ended up selling again on eBay in 2008. Somebody had put a Chevy 350 in it and swapped it out. The, the, it was, the second Girari is the one I love. That's the one. That's yes. for me. That's the one. Yeah, that's the 1977. And in, in 1977, he built another one. He, he left the Jeep Wagoneer stock. Um, he had to make a few changes to it. He put some um, different emblems on it, but he put another Ferrari V12 in there. And it's, that's just like a total sleeper thing. Very cool. But he, he put a Ferrari steering wheel in it and a couple other things, but very cool. A big old V12, five-speed manual in a jeep wagoneer it's kind of this orange color uh very cool my recollection stevon is it's the gated manual he actually put in the, the gated manual just to make it you know extra ferrari ish yeah you know i mean that is i think it's funny you know these just like elon musk man you spite these rich people they don't care they got enough money to do whatever they want to do and here he did he had two of them gerari just sounds awful though <laughs> i mean what a terrible gerari <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a like an italian drink but yeah it's just it's just weird it's absolutely uh brilliant again if you look if you and i would encourage we'll put it on our website but i encourage anybody to google it and it's it looks like a absolute stock jeep wagoneer from the 70s it has the the wood grain on the side yep. uh standard looking wheels and it it, it has a v12 for v 12 it's amazing it's so cool i can only imagine being on the streets to find and having that thing drive by and go what was that 
Exactly. You would have no idea. It would like, just, it would blow your mind. I had a friend, an older friend, he's actually passed now, but um, I lived in, in Bernie, Texas with the Air Force back in the 90s. And uh, I met him because I was outside of church and he drove by in a Ford Bronco 2 and it had a loud V8 sound. And I went up to him and I said, what's the story with this Bronco 2? I said, there's a V8 in there and Ford never sold it with a V8. And he kind of, he smiled. He's like, oh yeah. He goes, not many people noticed that. And he told me about, uh, you know, he stuck in a 351 and also a manual transmission. And he made this, this, but it looked bone stock. You couldn't tell he had the stock wheels. And he loved just going around with that V8. But it's the same kind of thing with the Girari. It's just this amazing, cool thing. Uh, Rodentrack had a couple articles back then that I that I still remember. And that was one. And the other was, do you remember, Stefan, the Volkswagen Rabbit, where somebody in Germany took a Volkswagen Golf, which is, we called it the Rabbit, took the Volkswagen Golf body and put it on top of a Porsche 928. He had to widen it and he had to lengthen it. But it looked like, and he had stock rabbit wheels, and he would drive around the Autobahn and blow people away. And it was very upsetting to people because here's this, you know, they'd be in a 911. Of course, 928 is faster than a 911 or a Mercedes AMG or something like that. And he would blow them away. Those are two cars that really stand out for me. The Gerari and that old, that old Golf. Yeah, that Golf. I remember that. Um, being that that actually made the cover of road and track as well i'm like what a cool thing to do that the ultimate sleeper you know the other big sleeper that time in the early 80s was people were taking volvo 240s and dropping v- v8s in them yes that was and um that was that was not uncommon i mean they do it some people have done it and called it the monster miata as well but the idea of my i like the, the idea of a complete sleeper you know here comes a volvo trolling up and the thing's got a v8 in it just like these Ferraris. i think that's that's just way cooler in my mind yeah these are family vehicles you know miata is a sports car and uh you know even a you know a, a, a standard sedan like like a golf is you know people tune those but no one no one tunes a wagoneer and no yeah. one tunes a, a two, volvo 240 station wagon yeah very anyway, cool cars uh, that was a that was a moment in time uh, that's all gone now, but, uh, although I guess people, you know, this, it'll never go away totally, but they, they captured my imagination. So anyway, um, here's another moment in time, Stefan, and I've been, I, I, I have not thought about this car in a long time. And I saw one on the street. I'm like, we got to talk about it. Stefan 2005 Pontiac GTO. That yep. was a, what the fuck, what the fuck were they doing thing? I, it, it's upsetting. It was ups- it, I I got pissed off when I saw it. I remember uh, I saw one. I saw an you know. So listeners, uh, so the Pontiac GTO. First of all, to put that name, but what they did was they resurrected the famous GTO name, and they really didn't have anything in America worth putting it on, at least what they thought. So they brought over a V8 Holden, and Holden is the Holden Monaro. That's right, Holden Monaro. Yeah. Holden, Menard, G, uh, Holden is the Australian subsidiary of GM. You know, that's like their brand, but GM. So they brought that over to the United States, and it just never looked right. It just didn't fit our market, and and it didn't and it didn't last very long in America. It sold it for two years. It was a six liter LS two V eight, uh, four hundred horsepower, uh, either a four speed automatic or a six speed manual. 
and it was actually a pretty legit car. I mean, it, you know, it's yeah, 400, 400 horsepower and a little coupe. That's pretty cool. They just shouldn't. I why did they just? They should have called it something else. Called it the the Chevy Monaro, but don't call it a GTO because it just pissed people off. Well, you know, to see we're just showing our age. You know, they put Mustang Mach E. They're you know they're putting these names on. They continue to do it on vehicles, and it's a sales thing. But yeah, it didn't work. It didn't go over very well at the time, and I think the people that have been interested in that car at the time just the GTO name was. You're right. I think it was a complete turnoff. I think yeah. I, I think a couple things, and and you know, for one thing, we talked about this. The Pontiac GTO was theft. I mean, Pontiac stole the Ferrari name. They just stole it. Like right. fuck, fuck you. We're taking this, and that is in, in some ways uh, completely not cool. On the other hand, they stole it for a, a car that'll be cool forever. The 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 muscle car era is now basically 60 years old, 50 to 60 years old. It resonates as much now as it ever did. Muscle cars were absolutely cool and they were in in a way as cool as uh the the, the Ferraris of the late 50s. Porsches of of the eighties, they were they were so legit. Muscle cars were an era that was magical. So I think everyone kind of forgives Pontiac and forgives GM for stealing name because it was absolutely an iconic time. And the GTO, the Pontiac GTO, was an iconic car. There was nothing iconic about the Pontiac GTO of two thousand five and two thousand six. Yeah, I agree that it should have been a different name. And it, you know, there's a, a failure there on their part, but it was, a, I know you're right. All in all, it was a decent car. I, I didn't like it, but, but, I think, that, but slapping the GTO badge on there was just a bad deal. It was round. It was very kind of nineties round. And, you know, like, it looks like a, almost like a Mitsubishi eclipse. Uh, it just was not good. And, and it just irritated people. They put the name on it. I think that's what it comes down to. They didn't sound very good though. It sounded so, really nice. Yeah. Great sound. Big six liter V8. I mean, it sounded sweet. But yeah, they should have kept the, the holding name on it or done something different. Even they could have called, you know, hey, how about they could have left the, the Mercure, you know. I mean, there's <laughs> <plenty>. <laughs> so there's plenty of names that didn't work, you know, in the, in the history. But, I was talking, we, we had a business dinner last night. I was talking to one of my partners and he said his dad who lived in the, lives in Nebraska and has always lived in Nebraska. He was telling me about the, some of the cars his dad had. And he said, my dad had a Mercure. And I said, uh, was it the XR4 TI or was T-I. it the Scorp- or was it the Scorpio? Scorpio? He said it was a Scorpio. I'm like, in Nebraska? <laughs> yeah, he, he bought it because he got it really cheap. I'm like, yeah, that's because nobody bought him. Nobody bought him new, let alone used. I, I said he probably got it for like five grand or something. And he goes, seven. <laughs> he goes, uh, it was like three years old. It sold for something like. Yeah, forty thousand dollars back then. It was expensive, maybe thirty. And he said he got it for nothing. Um, Mercury Scorpio, man. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway, they should have called it something else. Let, let's move on. But yeah, uh, it just. I'll I'll be before we leave the GTO, the two thousand five GTO. Uh, I'll say two things about it. Number one, I'm outraged. I was disgusted. I can't believe the GTO <laughs> names on it. Number two, I would love to own one for a year. Yeah, with I mean, the six be, speed. Yeah, the six speed would be fun. It'd be a blast to drive that thing. Listen to the engine and just enjoy it. And I guarantee I could buy it super cheap. All right, 
a little bit of news and uh you know most people whether they know it or not know who daniel mack is daniel mack uh is uh he's become this tiktok phenomenon and he's the guy as you know stefano comes up and says uh hey love your car what do you do for a living so yeah it goes at the rich yeah fancy cars yeah so he claimed his first victim at the uh monterey speed weeks he went up to an slr and it was a guy with a Mercedes, for the listeners, Mercedes Benz SLR, very. Yeah. From like 20 years ago and uh, maybe 15, but he, he went up to it. It's got the, the Lamborghini doors and uh, the guy opens the doors and they, they scissor up and he says that. And the guy said, basically a line from Arthur, the movie Arthur. And he said, basically I drive rich cars and fondle big, big breasted women. And um, uh, it's a line from Arthur. But, you know, of course it's a joke. Uh, his girlfriend or significant other was next to him and she laughed. She didn't, wasn't offended. I wasn't offended when I saw it. I thought it was a little weird, but you know, whatever. It didn't bother me. Well, he shouldn't have said it. His name, uh, as it turns out, was Tony Blevins. And he was the vice president of procurement for Apple. And someone turned it into HR and he lost his job over that. Yeah, just I don't know. I, I I don't know what to say. I'm sure no matter what I say, this is a difficult topic to discuss because I just I mean no one should be one and done. Okay, we all make mistakes in life, and you know everybody should get a second chance. And you know maybe there's some history in the company here that we don't know about, possibly. But I, I would have to imagine that there's got to be more behind the curtains on this because he was quoting him. He, this wasn't he was he was trying to be funny. Arthur, the movie, which is, you know, about a rich guy and all this. So he's trying to be funny. He messes up the quote a little bit from movie. It's very close if you read the whole quote. So right. the only thing I can imagine, Steve, is there's more to this story. And this was. This was the final nail in his coffin. They probably there's probably been some HR complaints from the guy. I just would hope so because I think to fire somebody over that and nothing else, a perfect he's been there for 22 years. To fire somebody for simply that and not give somebody a second chance. Everybody deserves a second chance. Well, not everybody, but um, there are some crimes. But we all say I've said things, and I'm like, the minute it comes out of your mouth is like <laughs> I thought it was funny, but actually it could have offended somebody. So, I don't know. I, I've got very mixed feelings about it. I just, I know I would feel better if there's a long history of HR, but I would not feel good if he got fired for this one single comment. That was. Yeah. Yeah. My sense was um, I kind of cringed when he said it because I, I did see it as soon as it yeah. popped up on TikTok. And, and I'm like, who's that guy? And I thought it was immature. I didn't think it was, it was offensive. Yeah. I thought it was immature. And I do think if you're a vice president, in charge of a trillion dollar company and you know you're one of uh, a small number of recruit or uh, reports who reports to the ceo uh, you can't be immature and i think that you know you're going to lose some respect of your troops uh, or the people under you if you say something like this because it really was immature it just i mean i can't I, I would never say it myself it's just childish but at the same time is, I, mean, I, I agree I, totally I, with that yes i, I agree, I agree with totally. what done is not right yeah he was i mean i'm not defending the guy at all. i just the one and done, it's like, yeah, why would you, I mean, 
you know, we all, you know, he was just trying to be funny, but it was, it was not anything. And it was not the right things. I agree with totally all that, but it's like, I don't, I have a problem with the one and done, you know, these days, every yes. kid gets a, every, every kid gets a trophy, no matter what they did, a participation trophy. And so here we're supporting everybody and we want to build up everybody's whatever esteem. And, but here this guy makes this comment. It, yeah. It's cringy. It's, it's inappropriate. But I just, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult subject to address. I can see both sides of the argument. And I just have a feeling that there's something else going on. Yeah. I, you know, if you're in a position of uh, authority or, um, you know, executive status or something, um, I think you really need to be very careful about what you say, even in a, in a, in a, an off the clock moment like this, he's at a car show, he's enjoying cars, he's enjoying his own car. And, you know, it's an unguarded comment. Uh, he's not on the clock. He's not at Apple. He's not at some conference. He's not representing Apple, but at the same time, you know, you're always representing Apple if you're in that position. And, and I think you have to be, you have to have a different standard of what you say in public if you are an executive like that. And I think it extends to professionals. I, I you know, you and I, when, when we're, you know, in a social setting, we're not working, we're not in the hospital, but we're, we're still, we're known as doctors and you have to watch out and don't say anything that's really, um, you know, even, even something like this as a, as a, you know, as a practicing physician, I think you have to be careful that you don't act immature, say something immature. Don't you think? I mean, you have to be, Oh yeah. If, I if agree. You're a practicing totally. physician, you have even, even, even at a cocktail party, you have to watch what you say. Oh, I know. I agree. Totally. And it's even more so today than five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, there's so much media and everything is boom distributed so quickly. But that's a whole another topic for another day. But yeah, I think I read that and I was like, whoa, geez, maybe, uh, you know, but it's those three things you should never discuss in friends or with publics. That's um, sex, politics, and religion. Those are discussions that can go quickly the wrong direction with anybody. Yeah, I thought you were going to say uh, religion, politics, and, and large breasts. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sex. And, yeah, it's no, just... Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we agree. I mean, you know, it was cringy, and uh, we both agree. We should. We wish he, you know, if this was it, uh, I wish he could have just given an apology and and kept his job. But yeah, that's not the way it went. No. Nope. All right. So one thing I wanted to talk about, and there's a couple things that reminded me of this, and I I just want to I don't want to say get it off my chest, but I want to talk about it because uh, this is something no one's talking about, and I've I've noticed it. And the two things that got me thinking about this, Stefan, number one, uh, I test drove a Subaru Accent uh, a few months ago, and I couldn't believe how huge it was. If you, it, it looks like a larger Subaru Outback, but which is, I think, on purpose. I think it's a slimming design, and I think they wanted it to look like a large Outback. But it is huge. I mean, it's huge in the inside. And the thing that really uh, got me to think that just very kind of dramatically was I parked next to an Audi Q5. Audi Q5 is not small. The, out, the, the Subaru Accent was way bigger than the uh, Q5. I mean, in every dimension, it was just huge. I'm like, holy crap, this thing's like as big as a Tahoe, which it almost is. And, and then it, it got me thinking about the Outback because the Outback 
has always been a small uh, a small station wagon that they kind of you know lifted a little bit, made it a little bit off road. But let me give you a couple dimensions. When the Outback came out in 1995 um, or 1996, you know, 96 model year. If you compare it to 2022, length 1996, the original Outback, which was Paul Hogan doing commercials, 184 inches long. It's now seven inches longer at 191. It's eight inches taller. Went from 67 to 75 inches. Oh, I'm sorry, that's width. But but again, eight inches wider, Stefan, and the height. It's four inches taller. It's it's way bigger. Well, you think about it though. Look at a Honda Accord. Look at a Honda Civic. I mean, today's Honda Civic was bigger than my Accord that I had. You know, all the vehicles and you know, what what big thing driving the width size of vehicles is side impact safety standards. Even with airbags and everything, they you know if you sit just sit in an old car and get a sense of how close you are to the door. Sit in a new car. And that door is going to be about six inches away, typically four to six inches away from your side. Sometimes so a more. Lot, sometimes more. So a lot of the width of vehicles has to do with side impact. And then there's been a general bloat across all of manufacturing vehicles. They're just all so much larger. It's like when I was at the Mercedes-Benz Museum, seeing the older S-Class Mercedes, they were small vehicles by today's standards, sat low, they were narrow. And now they're just, they're huge and everything has gotten really large, but it's interesting for Subaru. You know, you kind of use Subaru as the automotive manufacturer that kind of has an environmental conscience, maybe it's kind of how they, they advertise themselves. And, but you know, this is, I'm sure they saw themselves losing a lot of profit margin in this class of SUV. And just like Ferrari, you know, They've got to make product that sells. And so they're now into the giant bloated SUV market, which is just kind of strange, but yeah, I can although, understand why they're doing it. Yeah. Although what they did was they took their car and they made it into an SUV and, you know, they just by lifting yeah, it, the app, for right. example, the, the, uh, the Crosstrek, everyone thinks it's a small SUV. Uh, of course, everyone knows it's a Crosstrek, but it looks like an SUV just because they, they took an Impreza, they raised it, they put a, a roof rack on. And it's some body cladding and then bigger, bigger tires and wheels. And all of a sudden, everyone thinks it's like an SUV. It's just an Impreza. Well, you know, it's funny you talk about the roof rack. That reminds me, remember the Pathfinder? They put this roof rack on it that makes it even look larger than it is. And we had a Ford Taurus X, which was their crossover. And they did the same thing with the roof rack. It had like a little fake panel down on the side. So it gives you the impression the vehicle's much taller than it really is. Yeah, it adds it adds toughness. <laughs> oh, this is a roof rack. And the idea is that uh, if you just have a car, you have a car. But if you have a roof rack, it's like, oh, yeah, you're going to go surfing this weekend. Yeah, you're going off-roading. You're, yeah, it's, it's a lifestyle statement. Yeah, you're going rock climbing or whatever. But again, it, it's amazing to me, uh, just in a couple generations, how much larger the outback is and and you're right the accords bigger the the civics bigger the the, the camry and and the you know uh, rav4 they're all bigger but oh my gosh it just was dramatic to me uh just how much you know when i looked at the dimensions because uh these really are not station wagons anymore even though they look like it they really right. are crossover suvs and they're more analogous to a small suv so it's amazing how much that that changed and and it just a it's a different thing, but yeah, I, I do like your point, Stefan. Uh, on the one hand, uh, 
you know, it's more space and, and you have, you know, more, you can put more stuff in your car and, but, but ultimately it, it, you, you end up with a safer family vehicle. Right. Mass matters, you know, momentum equals mass times velocity. And, but, you know, we think about, we're, we're all worried about carbon dioxide and um, CO2 production and greenhouse gases. And our vehicles are all getting bigger every year. Fuel mileage is improving. But look at all the new electric vehicles coming in. They all weigh, they're just, they they weigh so much because of the batteries, but they're also making them huge vehicles. So to me, it, 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 they're not traveling parallel in thought as to where we should be in actually reducing greenhouse gases and no and and yeah the, you you talked last week about the the hummer that weighs nine thousand pounds which is just stunning to me it's a shocking number just how heavy that is but hey let me circle back just for a second stefan because I, I i i want you to talk a little bit more about this because you and i have talked privately about this for probably 30 years and this is you have made the point and i think it's worth you making it again that for every inch every half inch every millimeter that you can increase between your head and the side of the car when you get hit in the side that space even a millimeter is life-saving every single half inch between you and the the in the the side of the car that you can increase is life-saving yeah absolutely so you know when you think about it when you're in a wreck the easiest way to just think about you in a wreck that you're, let's say you're hitting a tree or you're hitting a concrete wall. It's easier to visualize than hitting another vehicle. Whatever speed you're going at, you're going to go, let's say 60. You're going to go 60 to zero when you hit that wall of that tree. It's not going to move. So the, so the idea is what does the car do to lengthen the time of your point of impact? So we call, I call that, we call that riding the crash down. So, um, the crash impulse. So if you think about it, if you hit a car, if you hit a concrete wall head on that, all that entire front end engine, all of that has to crush and they design it with crumple zones. Mercedes was the first to do that with crumple zones. The steering wheel collapses. So you're riding that down. Now the seatbelt catches you and now you're slowing down with the seatbelt until finally you come to a stop. So you've got a large interval of time crash impulse. Now take that sideways. Think of your sliding sideways. And you've got a piece of glass on the side of your head, and you're let's say your head is twelve inches from that piece of glass. Your head's going to go sixty and twelve inches is going to go sixty to zero. Now, now we have the side airbags which blow up, which help decrease. That gives you more time to ride that crash down. But that's why the vehicles you'll notice that the door is further and further away on your left, and that is to meet the new minimum crash impact standards. And they actually do. They do several side tests, but there used to be, there's a pole test and then a vehicle hitting you on the side. So that's why vehicles have gotten wider and wider. And you know, we now have side air curtains um, that go, I'm sorry, that go front to back, which are great for rear seated passengers. Then in the one podcast, Steve-O, I talked about positioning children in the back seat. So you think about it, you got two kids side by side and a side impact that first kid's going to hit the airbag then they're going to slow down but that other kid's head is coming and that other kid's head is not going to stop till it hits the person's next to its head then you, know, you got two heads colliding which is bad and we had several of those were some severe head injuries from head-to-head impacts that's why you don't want to put you got the option space between people in the back seat you know you, you don't want to sit side by side if possible that's a great point 
Yep. So that's why cars have, and that's why they're they've gotten so much bigger and wider. I look at my Mustang. I mean, it's a it's a decent sized car, but I've got a lot of room from the left side of me to the wheel, and then the seat, the this, and the space between yourself and the passenger seat is now smaller than it used to be. But so they're they're moving you more inboard. Yeah, that's a great point. Hey, before we leave safety, I just thought of this, and I I, I we have not talked about this. Um, but I want to I want to get your thoughts here, Stefan. Um, I was listening to Spike's Car Radio uh, just a couple of days ago, and of course, we both love that podcast. But they talked about a uh, Porsche that crashed on Angeles Crest. It was a nine nine seven dot one Porsche GT three, uh, and it was a father and a son. They went off the road at high speed, rolled, and both were killed. Uh, Johnny Lieberman. You know, made the point repeatedly that hey, this is a very experienced driver, and all I could th- I, I wanted to yell at him because it doesn't matter how experienced this guy is. Shit happens on roads. Uh, there can be uh, a change in the road. There can be some something that change. You know, a tree falls on the road or something. If you're going at high speed, you, you have to be ready for that. This is not a, this is not a closed course. It's not a racetrack. I think the father was unbelievably irresponsible, criminally irresponsible, and I can only imagine the furor of that young man's mother knowing that his father took him on this road high speed crashed and killed the son who's sitting in the passenger side completely irresponsible i'd say criminally so thoughts yeah i you know we the two of us have been known to break the speed limit on the interstate you know i think this guy and i know johnny lieberman kept saying experienced driver but Okay, experienced driver, meaning handling a car fast, driving car very fast. He's experienced at that. We'll save that for the track day. Okay, like you said, you could come around a corner. There could be a bicyclist. Any, there could be a car broken down. Now, if you're on a closed section of road where they close it off, they let you do high speed trials. I know they do that in Idaho. They've done it in Texas. That's a whole. That's a different ball game. That's a closed course you're on your own there it's it's protected but i agree with you just to go on these roads to just wind it out a gt3 which is just a track car for the road it's it's completely irresponsible it's sad i feel sorry for that family um apparently the father was known and he did this all the time as gt3 because johnny lieberman said he'd seen him out there multiple times right with you agree with you steve oh it's it's criminal it's irresponsible but then you say well what about you speeding down the interstate doing you know well I, I i view that a little differently it's a wide open interstate you can see where you're going that's different than on a closed road lots of corners no guardrails cliffs on the side you make a mistake you're dead and apparently he made some mistake and the car flew off and landed on the roof and it sounds like you know they were basically crushed when the roof came in that I would also Terrible. say that there's a difference between doing it by yourself and doing it with a passenger. You got a passenger, that's another level of responsibility. It's another yes. level of negligence. It is. Yeah, we shouldn't do. I mean, take put yourself at risk, but don't don't put don't put a passenger at risk with you. Yeah. I just was uh I, I was disgusted by that driver to do that with his son in the car and put his his son's uh um life at risk and but I was really, um, I hate to say it, I was just, I like Johnny Lieberman. I was disgusted that he was so uh, kind of okay with it uh, and, and justifying this very high speed crash by saying that, you know, hey, this guy was comfortable at high speeds and was a good driver. 
it doesn't matter. It absolutely doesn't matter. No, he should have been going slower. He, it was irresponsible period. So, all right, well, we we agree on that. And, um, uh, let's move on. Uh, kind of the last thing I want to talk about is, is, uh, your day tomorrow. I mean, we, we had interviews with Jack Roush, really good stuff. We got out of, out of, out of Jack, the conversation between you two reliving, uh, where you really got to know each other after his plane crash, where you saved his life. Um, amazing story. Uh, but tomorrow you're going to go meet him and see a race. Yeah. So tomorrow, um, actually I got the bullet out. I washed it, cleaned it up because I'll be parking in the inner sanctum at Talladega. I'll be parking there in the motor coach area with all the other drivers and family. So I, I got the bullet out, cleaned it up. It looks nice and clean. I'll get there early. Um, we'll park and I'll hang out with Jack and probably going to ask him a few questions that maybe will turn up on the podcast here about some things he's done in his life that he's proud of and um, some questions like that. So we'll get down there early. The race starts at one o'clock and I got two buddies going with me who've been to uh, Talladega several times. So we'll get down there, hang out, and we'll see how active Jack's going to be, but we'll go to the driver's meeting. And then he likes to walk down like you did with me at Indianapolis. likes to walk down between the cars, say hello to the drivers. And I'm looking forward to it. It's a lot of fun. Long day, but it'll be a blast. What's, what are driver's meetings like? Well, they go in there and tell them don't do this and don't do that and behave. You know, um, they're interesting. Then every, every now and then a couple of drivers will raise questions. But if they change like the pit entry speed and stuff like that, they tell everybody. And it's usually like guys go out there and race and have a good time but behave. <laughs> it's NASCAR. If you, ain't bu- if you ain't rubbing and bumping, you ain't racing, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't wait to hear about that. That's going to be exciting. Um, very exciting. So um, anyway, uh, that wraps up uh, our show. And um, yeah, close us out, Stefan. And uh, we cannot wait to hear about Talladega 2022. All right. Hey, uh, so like and subscribe, everybody. Um, the website's a little behind, but I'll update it. And uh, tell all your friends about us. And we'll see you next week.